Feature writer and marketing strategist Neha Nagani knows that even with all the bad things you see on the news today, there's still a lot of great people doing great things. Join us for the next few minutes while Neha takes the time to show you who some of these people are, what they've done, and what the impact is on our society. This is Seen from the Inside with your host, Neha Nagani. Welcome to Seen from the Inside. I'm your host, Neha Nagandi. Today in studio, we have one of NBA's greats. He is five-time Los Angeles Lakers world champion player. He currently coaches the WNBA's Atlanta Dream. Amidst all this, he still finds time to give back to the community and create social good. Let's welcome Coach Michael Cooper to the show. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So good to have you here. I'm so excited to have you. I'm excited too, Neha. And I'm not going to call you that. I'm going to call you a little bit because you're just a little bit of thing. But you know what? You do a lot of good. Thank you, Coach Cooper. Can I start by telling you a story? As I was preparing for this interview, uh, a lot of my listeners know I grew up in Charlotte, North Carolina. But what they may or may not know is my parents are from India. Mm -hmm. So I'm first generation Indian. And... Through no fault of their own, they didn't uh, have any of my sisters or I play any sports. It could be a good thing, could not be a bad thing. I personally think it was a bad thing. So I never got to call anybody a coach. So as I was preparing for this interview, I was so excited to have you here. So I get to call you Coach Cooper. Okay, watch out. I'm going to make you do something. Push-ups or you got to run jacks. laps or yes, something. something. Yeah. I'm so, so uh, I've never got to call anybody coach, and I'm very excited to have you here, and you've done some amazing things, and we're going to talk about all of it right now. So you were born in Los Angeles, raised in Los Angeles, went to Pasadena Community College, went on to University of Mexico. Yes, yes, yes. So... <laughs> And then when did you start playing for Los Angeles Lakers? Um, went to college in 77, 78, University of New Mexico. Uh, played uh, for uh, the late, great Norm Ellenberger. He was a screamer and a real um, defensive-minded coach. And his best friend was Jerry West because Jerry used to come down to Albuquerque and golf. Uh, mm-hmm. So we had this player on our team named Marvin Johnson. And Marvin was a prolific scorer. I mean, this kid could score. He could shoot the basketball. And uh, so he brought Jerry down to kind of look at him in the 78 season. And uh, he told us, you know, hey, Jerry West is going to be up there, general manager, head coach of the Los Angeles Lakers, coming to see Marvin. And I said, you know what, if you're going to see him, I'm going to show him what I got. So I actually had a good game that game, and he started following us. So I was uh, in 79, I was the 64th player picked in the third round, which is uh, a player picked that low usually don't make it. They don't get to play? Um, Not much court time? No, I'm talking about make the team. You don't make the team. Uh, Usually it's first, mid, second round players at that time. Now the draft is so condensed, and I think it's only like three rounds now. But uh, So being picked at that time, and then there was probably eight or nine rounds. After a while, people started throwing darts at a board just to pick players in the seventh and eighth round. Uh, With your team full of players, you can only have, I think, carry uh, now 15 players, but you can carry three on injury reserve. So being a 64th player picked, it was a very slim chance of me making the Laker team. But at the time, Jerry West retired, moved up to the general manager, and then they went out and hired a coach um, that uh, uh, Coach McKinney, uh, Jack McKinney, came with the Lakers that season. And then we drafted Magic Johnson, 
But before Magic, I was there the year before I got injured. So it was an outside chance. But one thing he told me, he says, uh, Coop, you know what? I'm looking because he was a, a, a disciple under Jack Ramsey on the Portland Trailblazers team that won in 72 with Bill Walton. Uh, I need somebody to play defense. So I knew that was going to be my niche, come from a defensive school. Uh, so that was how I was going to make my way, and that's how I was able to stick with the Lakers. So you played with some of the greatest players in the NBA. Still, to, in my opinion, still today. He played with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. He played with Magic Johnson. He played with James Worthy. What was that like when you won your first championship? You know, you know what, uh, Neha, a little bit. Um, <laughs> one thing that I like to say is, yeah, I played with some – great players but the fun part about that is I actually got to see and I knew Kareem was going to be a legendary player but to see Magic Johnson and James Worthy go from good players from college to great players in the NBA to uh, legendary players that are now inducted into the Hall of Fame and that was uh, something unique and special because it was an everyday uh, involvement with them watching them the way they practiced the way that we worked uh, the work ethic that went in and the ability to make oneself better Without the team, because I watched Magic, we him he and I would go shoot by ourselves. He would go, Coop, you get your five hundred shots up. We would go play during off season. So it was truly a brotherhood, and I mean that in the sense of if you grew up in a big family, and I grew up in a big family with my cousins and all that. There was like six of us all the time. So we went from neighborhood to neighborhood, and it was us against each neighborhood that we went or each street. Yeah. So playing with the Lakers, that's how that was formed, uh, with Magic being there, Kareem, Worthy eventually coming, but Norm Nixon, Jamal Wilkes. It just became a real tight-knit family. So it was like anytime we played, you could almost look at it, and we didn't have to say anything because it was uh, unspoken words. We knew we were going to cut right or cut left, or I went to Ali, the Koopa Loop, Magic would throw it in the air. We just knew each other so well and that's the fun part about playing basketball because sometimes the coach just have to stand there like Pat Riley did on many occasions with his hair slicked back and his nice suits on and he wouldn't say anything we would play the game because we knew the game so I think that I've read and I say that I think that I've read because what you read on the internet is not always true so I've learned this from my many previous guests. So I'm going to ask you this. Your grandfather played for the Negro Baseball League. Is That's that my true? uncle. That's your uncle. Yeah. See? Uncle. On the internet, it said yeah. grandfather. There you go. Proven wrong. Okay. So your uncle played for the Negro Baseball League. Mm -hmm. And... I think somewhere I read that they wanted you to start out by playing baseball. Is that true? Yes. He and wanted me to play baseball. But this is the funny part uh, a little bit. He is named Tom. Okay. So when we were growing up, I couldn't call him Uncle Tom. I had to call him Tom, my uncle. So that's how that formed. But he was a, a great pitcher who had to give it up because he had to go to work for the family. Um, my my uh, grand, I grew up with my grandmother. She had 10 kids. They had kids. So there was always a bunch of us, probably 15 at the table sometimes coming to dinner. But uh, he loved baseball. He was a big baseball fan, Jackie Robinson fan. Uh, um, so it was baseball, so I tried out for the Little League, and uh, he used to have all these gloves and balls in his car and stuff like that, so we'd go to the park, and he signed me up to play Little League. Me and my, my I had an uncle that's just like a year older than me, and then I had three cousins, so we all signed up, and I got up to the plate to hit. Now, I could catch. I could feel like hip-hop flies, left field with my position in baseball. The first time I got up, guy kid threw the ball at me and it kind of brushed me back i was like okay huh? just hang in there he told me he said you gotta stay in there right. and the next pitch he threw 
hit me in my right, no, my left thigh. Mm-hmm. Neha, that hurt so bad that I gave up baseball that day. From that I, day? From that How day, old were you there? I then? was, what, probably about 10. 10 years 10, old. 11. Say baseball is just, not for oh, me. that is not for me. I'm I'd like, rather get knocked around on the basketball court. Uh, well, I tried football next. Oh, you tried football, tried football after that? Wide receiver, playing at the school, jumped up in the air, and kid took my feet out from under me. And next thing I know, they were like, Michael, you okay? I'm like, yeah. And I said, where are we? They said, you're at the park. And I was like five minutes later. So I was knocked out. So I said, you know what? That's not for me. That's not for you. So I would go play basketball. I figure it's a safer sport. But in the game of basketball, I've had two broken noses. I had a fractured hand, three concussions. I had a torn uh, retina, uh, scratched cornea. I had um, oh. uh, broken ribs. I had a bruised sternum. I had uh, bruised coccyx. That's your tailbone. You oh bruise that. And I had four major, major uh, hip pointers that almost required surgery, but they kind of went by on that. And then I had a knee injury that I had, a medial collateral ligament tear on my left knee. That was my rookie year in the Lakers. So. That sounds horrific, but all of that. I but love, you stayed on the court. I love that game. Love that game. You stayed on the court. Yep. Now, all those injuries that you just rattled off, how does that compare to the tongue cancer that you had uh, in 2014? You know what, Neha, that was an interesting part of my life and um, I had never experienced anything about that Uh, their cancer does not run in our family and you know so I didn't know but anyway I I came down here my first year coaching Uh, the side of my tongue was hurt and it's kind of like if you chew you're chewing food and you accidentally bite your tongue and it lasted for about three or four days and you know your inside of your mouth heals pretty quickly and this wasn't healing and then the final thing that kind of alerted me is that I was drinking water one day and it was just so painful so I said you know what let me get to an ENT ear nose and throat doctor so I went there got set up by the team and I went over to Emory Hospital and uh, the young lady came in and they had these TVs up with the scope that they put and you can see the inside of your mouth. So she says, open your mouth. So I said, it's right there. It looked like just like a little, like a little slit, nothing ugly or nothing to even think that it was cancer. She says, I'll be right back. She goes out the room, she comes back in and the doctor comes in and looks and she says, okay, I'll be right back. She goes out about a minute later, she comes in with a little tray and a tube on it and two sharp knives. And I said, uh, what's wrong? She says, oh, that's tongue cancer. We have to take a biopsy. I said, so what is that? And she said, oh, I got to cut a piece of, I said, I don't, you don't give me anything to numb it? She goes, no, I mean, it, it won't hurt. I said, listen, it hurts me to drink water. And you're talking about cutting it? No, no, no. So long story short, that's how it is. I'm doing a lot better. Thank you. I'm so glad you fully recovered from that. But what a story to have somebody walking in with a tray with two <laughs> knives and saying, no, no numbness required. We, you'll be okay. You're, you've been through much worse. <laughs> <laughs> you played against much worse opponents, and um, this is this is nothing. This is nothing. You're listening to Seen from the Inside. I'm your host, Neha Nagandi. Today on the show, we have in studio with us the Atlanta Dream head coach, Coach Michael Cooper. He's also won five world championships with the Los Angeles Lakers. We're going to take a short break, and we're going to continue talking with Coach Cooper. We'll be right back. Welcome back. You're listening to Seen from the Inside. I'm your host, Neha Nagandi. Today, we're excited to have in studio with us current Atlanta Dream head coach, Michael Cooper. So excited. I know I mentioned this before, but you've got, you're full of stories. You could tell your coach 
on and off the court. It never stops, does it? Right? Once you're a coach, always a coach. Is always that true? a coach. You start uh, coaching. The, you start telling the public what to do. Say <laughs> people, nah, nah, get over here. Get it. <laughs> so it goes. But you know what? Not a coach at home. My wife, she kind of coaches me, and my son, he's a, a student of the game. So we, uh, I can turn it off. Once I get home. Once but, you can do that, you know, that's um, good. But again, coaching women, I really enjoy that. The Atlanta Dream, I've coached L.A. Sparks. Mm-hmm. Uh, been the 20th season of the WNBA. I've coached Sparks for about 10 years before I came to Atlanta. Coach Cooper has won 200 games coaching in the WNBA. That is an amazing feat in and of itself. I say it right now, folks. He is a Hall of Fame player and coach. I'm calling it. I'm calling it. Thank it's you. just a matter uh, of when it's going to happen. And when it happens, are you going to invite me to the inductee well, the way ceremony? Well, things are going with me, might be when I die. So no, if I die. come on. No, no, no. It'll when happen. I do that. It's going to happen. But you know what? I feel that I'm already in the Hall of Fame. I think uh, uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar has been inducted. Magic's been inducted. Worthy and playing with them. And I got the number 21. And 2 plus 1 is 3. That's 33. That's Kareem's number. 32. 2 plus 1 is 3. That's 3 of Magic's. And then the two is Magic's. And then 42 was James's number. So I'm in there with those guys. Right. You're already there. Yeah. You're, you're one leg in. Yeah. One leg in. Let, let's get him voted in, guys. Okay. <laughs> let's, let's talk about the Atlanta Dream. This is your fourth season going in? Going on the fourth season. Yeah. Going in on the fourth season. What's it like to coach women in basketball? You know, I've always, uh, when I first heard the existence of the WNBA was going to become a reality is uh, when I started thinking about that. And women play the game the way it's supposed to be played. Uh, Our women are becoming more athletic, but they are smarter, they're sounder. And I I don't mean smart in that NBA players are dumb. It's just that they understand the game where men take the game on an athletic level. And it's not about what you know. It's about how high you can jump, how far out you can shoot, and how fast you are. Well, those attributes women still carry but they carry that with the knowledge of the game and that's how we used to play in the 80s you know uh, basketball IQ is a lost art and a forgotten thing now because at the AAU level coaches aren't trying to teach the kids how to play the game they're trying to put those five team players together so that they can win the AAU championship what is AAU for all those uh, amateur athletic uh, thing where the kids okay. play and you go to these tournaments and you'll see these kids just just you'll go to a gym where they'll have 30 and this is because I used to coach college ball, so going to see these uh, college pl- high school players, there'll be 30 courts, and there's over 500 teams in there. So you kind of like moving around to see the best players. So mm-hmm. coaches at that level aren't necessarily really trying to teach them the fundamentals. They're trying to get the best six, seven players together, give them a concept that they want them to do, and then let their athleticism take over, men or women. So mm-hmm. coaching women is truly a joy. Uh, I think we got some great talented players at our level. I think Angel McCartry is one of the, and I've coached some some good women. Uh, Lisa Leslie, probably the best player I've ever coached. Coach Candace Parker for a little bit. A uh, young lady that's forgotten Nikki Teasy, but Angel McCartry is right up there with them. Uh, and our goal is to bring a championship to Atlanta and be a championship team. And people don't forget champions. People don't forget champions. That's the true thing right there. Um, so you've been you've said that defense wins championships mm-hmm. and you've won awards for your spectacular defensive play on the court how do you coach that because so often now in the highlights if you were to watch ASPN it's all about offense you know where you see the players going up and making these dunks and making these amazing shots or throwing the ball across the court right so how do you instill in players that defense wins championships well uh, coming back 
to when I used to play as a player, and again, the coaches I had, Coach Ellenberger, uh, Coach Turgeon at high school, taught me the fun- fundamentals of defense. Uh, Coach Ellenberger taught me the tenacity about defense, and then Pat Riley kind of corralled that and put it into the discipline of defense. And, you know, we had uh, our Laker teams were showtime, and we went up and down the floor, sky hooks, Cooper Loops, Magic Threes, James Worthy's moves, but we were a very good defensive team. And what you have to do as a coach, and one thing I have learned over the years, is that you have to get the team to buy into that. And if you can create a defensive atmosphere where that they feel that they're having fun, and then the residual effect is we play good defense that many more times we get the ball on offense, we can do it. And that's what we were able to do. Magic Johnson, probably the worst one-on-one defensive player you could ever find in the game, but he was the best team defensive player. If we had a double team to low post, whether it's Moses Malone, Daryl Dawkins, uh, Larry Bird, he was always there on time and our defense adjusted accordingly. So those are some of the qualities that you have to take and that's what I'm trying to do with the Atlanta Dream. Very good team. Have always been one of the highest scoring teams. Got one of the best scorers in the game in Angel McCartry. And now I got to sell them on defense because defense wins championships, players win games. I love that. Let's write that down. We need to we need to save that right there. So when you do you recruit for the Atlanta Dream as well? We go out and scout. Yes, you college scout players. Uh, mm-hmm. Yep, we go out and. What's some of your favorite it? colleges to go to to scout? Well, you know, it's, it's unlike the men's game. There are a plethora of schools out there in the men's game. With the women's game, it's not so much. You got the UConn's, Tennessee, uh, South Carolina. Now is a good place to go. Uh, Rutgers. Uh, Coach Stringer is always putting together some good things. Notre Dame. There's many uh, good ones, but not as many as the men. So what we have to do is you have to kind of like spread yourself thin. And uh, sometimes what I'll do is I, you have to go to them lower schools and we'll get a list of top players that the WNBA have put out and they'll put out the top 60 players. Okay, well, right now I already have my base, but then my list will probably expand to 200 because I'll go to Colorado, UCLA, SC, uh, Kennesaw State, Columbus State. I'll go to those schools if I hear a player and, you know, you want to look and see who their seniors are. So more scouting is done from phone calls, asking the coaches. And, you know, coaches going to always sell their player. Hey, this one's good. You got to come see. But, you know, I'll always do them justice by going to see. But when I look at her, she may not play at this level, but she's a good overseas player. And sometimes players are coming to our league, have to go overseas for a year or two, and then they'll finally find themselves in the WNBA. So scouting is very, very, very important at, at this level. It's crucial, right, to make your very. team a winning team yep. like we've just talked about. So let's kind of switch gears a little bit and talk about a book that you've written called, (laughs) he laughs about this because, uh, dear listeners, during the break I asked him, I'm like, so I've read on the internet that he wrote a book, is that true? And he's like, well, sort of. So again, please don't believe anything you read on the internet. But It's a kid's book. It's a a kid's book. It's it's a kid's book. And it's called No Slack. Mm -hmm. Came out in 1987. Mm Mm-hmm. Are you gonna? Uh, any plans to write another book? Ah, uh, yes. Okay. My next book is gonna be titled "A View from the Bench." A view from the bench. And I like that's that. That's gonna be the views from every bench I've sat on. Obviously, being a six man, uh, I have many seats. Now I have a seat in the WNBA. I've seen views from there. Been a, a college coach. Been a professional coach. So, but that one's gonna have to be done because uh, it's gonna be kind of like uh, not necessarily a tell all, but it's gonna be my point of view from everything I've done with basketball and the views from my bench. Uh, when is that coming out? 
Uh, I'm still gathering all the data. I'm trying to find a good. Well, I have somebody that I think that'll be good that'll understand because most of the meat and potatoes of the book is going to be through my Laker years, from 1980 to 91. Right. Uh, so it's coming. But this No Slack was a great book that I wrote for kids, and I have this concept that I call Coop's Five D's, and I tell these kids about those five D's are determination, dedication, desire discipline and decision making and with those five d's because when i was a young person trying to play basketball i was always skinny people would tell me coop you never make it to the pros you're too skinny going through school and those five d's were my report card going through high school so not getting good grades and becoming uh having to go from high school not straight to a four-year college but having to take the junior juco route didn't get it right then became academically ineligible, finally put those five Ds to work for me in the classroom, and I turned my world around, got me a scholarship to New Mexico, but I didn't falter because before in high school, I was an athlete student. After junior college, I was a student athlete, and I think that's the key because if you got it between your ears, and I always thought when I put that Laker uniform on and they signed me, and my first contract was 30000 I signed like I said, you know what, I'm not ever taking this off. Well, Nihau, I've been retired longer than I played. It's been 30 years since I played a game of basketball uh, uh, competitively, and I've only played for 12 years. So those five Ds can help you in your everyday life. It helps me as a husband. It helps me as a father. Uh, determination, dedication, desire, discipline, decision-making helped me as a coach. So as you just mentioned, you're husband and father. You've got four kids. How old are they? My oldest son's 35. He's uh, on your coaching staff. No. He's nope. got, he's, uh, has his own uh, uh, sports line, out, uh, sportswear in Los Angeles. Uh, my daughter's 36, and she's 35. She's uh, married to a military man, David. Mm-hmm. And uh, my, my, uh, oh, my son, Miles, who's 25, he's on my coaching he's staff. He's on your coaching staff. And okay. that's from my first uh, marriage. And then my second marriage is Yvonne. A lovely wife from Sweden, and I have a a 12-year-old. His name is Niels, N-I-L-S, and he might be the one that's going to – all my kids play sports, uh, but he might be the one that's going to do something with it. You're listening to Scene from the Inside. I'm your host, Neha Nagandi. Today on the show, we have in studio with us Coach Michael Cooper, who coaches the WNBA's Atlanta Dream. We've been talking about his years and championships with the Los Angeles Lakers and his coaching uh, five Ds that he was just mentioning on air. When we come back after this short break, we're going to talk about how he gives back to the community. We'll be right back. Welcome back. You're listening to Scene from the Inside. I'm your host, Neha Gandhi. Today on the show, we have Coach Michael Cooper from the Atlanta Dream with us. And we wanted, I want to ask you about giving back to the community and creating social good, which is so important, especially when you're a leader in a community and people see you giving back. It has such a positive ripple effects. Would you not agree, Coach? I definitely agree, but, you know, uh, that started at home. My grandmother was uh, real big in the church, and uh, she was always reaching out to the homeless people that she saw on the side of the road or people that didn't have much at church. She would invite them over and feed them, and uh, people that couldn't get out, she would cook food and take it to them. So I've seen giving from that aspect, and we didn't have much as a family ourselves, but you know what? What we had, we made do, and what we did have, we split that and gave to other people. So giving back to me is just something that I, that's what I do. I mean, you know, I've seen it, and that's how I am, and 
you know, um, like, you know, you drive on the side of the road, there's a lot of people out there now that are destitute for different things. I've seen a young lady holding a sign, three kids, no job. You know, I pull to the side of the road and give them $5, you know. It's not a lot, but it helps. Now, uh, a lot of people tell me, why do you do that? Because they could be on drugs or alcohol. You know what? When I give them the money, I tell them, listen, go get yourself something to eat. What they do with it then is on them, but I'm giving it with a clean heart, a good heart, and the faith of giving to try to help uh, our fellow uh, human beings out and help them. You know, that $5 could make them last another week longer. You never know. So giving has always been something that I was raised in. I saw it, and that's why I do it. So through the Atlanta Dream, you recently went to the Shepherd Center, which is part of the Piedmont Hospital, and they help out spinal cord victims um, or spinal or people with spinal cord injuries, as well as some other things. And you recently watched a practice session with some individuals that were injured or hurt or amputees uh, that were playing basketball. That was absolutely amazing that's really, so inspiring really, well first of all uh, uh the the tour that i took to shepherds just that the things that the shepherds are doing right there uh, elena i believe that's her name she took us on this tour to show us the things that they're doing helping the young people that become disabled or amputees or things like that and you know what it's not about what happened to their venture to get there but it's about them getting better and at least living some kind of normal life so the three-hour tour that we took opened my eyes to a lot of things it's a very very well-run facility uh i mean it was amazing you know i acted you know, i'm a very emotional person mm-hmm. i've started crying through it because again you know again we aren't given a lot but the little bit that they have they're doing a lot with it so to take that one step further the recovery process and going through all of that as a young person or older person or person in general but the end result is that they can get up and start living a normal life again and uh to go and see those young men play basketball and young ladies because we had a, a young lady i called her swish and to see them play in the wheelchairs and as competitively as they were playing. And, you know, we take our our uh, normal life for granted sometimes until you see somebody that don't have legs or arms and uh, out there playing basketball. Their hardest and making things happen was truly um, inspiring. And it made me take a self-awareness check of myself and to really want to give back. But just to uh, if there's any way that I could help them as far as a coach's talk, because I went there to talk to them as players. And I didn't, you know, I talked to them as players. That's what they were. They were basketball players. And the guys really enjoyed it as well as the young lady. And uh, I had a good time and got to watch them practice and go through their thing. And those guys are tough out there. They set good hard picks. I seen a couple of guys fall out of their chair and jump back up. You know, you got NBA players now falling around there later until guys come no these guys were falling on the ground with the chair on top of them and sometimes a couple of teammates would come and help them up but most of the time the guy push himself up and get back into the game and that's what life is about you know when you're down dust yourself off get back up and keep fighting coach what do you think about some of these players that are playing the basketball game now like king lebron james and some of the others that are dwight howard let's say for from the atlanta hawks um do you think that they have the same value system as in giving back to the community i I believe those two you do there's a lot of players that i don't know a lot about but i know a lot about because of just the uh reporting work that i do uh, covering lebron james especially him making it to the playoffs i do a lot of tv work out in los angeles dwight howard i happen to know personal he was out there with me and i love dwight howard dwight howard is a big advocate of women's basketball came to a lot of our games this year and followed us but i do think the guys give back and whether it's through their foundation and a lot of times you know and the things that i like about guys is do something where there's 
no TV cameras following you around. Do something from your heart and be real quiet about it. And, you know, Kevin Durant's another player that do a lot of things on their own. And, you know, I, I would say 99% of the NBA, the guys do something to give back to their community or a community. Uh, there might be that 1% that might be a selfish guy. I'm glad I don't know him. He's probably not. We don't know him. But, again, I think with the amounts of money that these guys are making, you would be foolish, dumb, unwise not to give back and I'm not talking about give back to your family we're gonna all take care of our family and that stuff but give to other people that support you one thing Pat Riley used to tell us when we played is you know play for the fans because they're the ones that make who you are they're the ones yelling cool they're the ones yelling magic they're the ones buying your jerseys they're the ones that's making you the money that you make and yes we're out there playing at a high level and doing special things but you know what I always say that the players nowadays have reaped the benefit of going not through our era in the 80s, but <clears throat> excuse me, but to Jerry West, John Havlicek, Bob Cousy, players that trailblazed all the way up now to we're only making. Jerry West said when he was uh, his shoe contract with Adidas, you know, with the Converse at first, making $1,500. Now guys make $15 million off wearing contracts or shoes. So it's, uh, it's a different world. drastically different. It's very drastically different. So we have time for one last question. When you're not coaching or when you're not giving back and when you're relaxing, what do you do? I love listening to jazz, jazz music. Who are uh, some of your favorite jazz musicians? Uh, Miles Davis, John Coltrane, uh, Thanolius Monk. That's a big bird fan, but I like jazz in general, Grover Washington. Uh, but again, any, any kind of jazz music, I'll go listen to that. And then the last but not least is I'm enjoying my family, my kids. Uh, my first kids, I was playing basketball, so really didn't get to do the, the dad-daughter, father-son thing a lot with them. But I mean, I was there, but my w first wife was the one that did most of the thing. Well, this time here, not playing a lot, but still coaching takes a lot of my time. I do get to spend more time with my wife, more time with uh, uh, my son, Niels, and, you know, we have our AAU team called 2-1 Elite, and I'm actually assistant coaching there, so I get to spend time with him. I'd like to thank my guest today in studio, Coach Michael Cooper, who coaches WNBA's Atlanta Dream, for being my guest today. Thank you so much. It was so wonderful to have you here. Thank you. I expect to see you at some games a little bit. I cannot wait. Right. I cannot wait. Thank you. Tune in next time for a scene from the inside on here, right here on AM 1690, Voice of the Arts. Music on the show provided by bensound.com.